This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Ryan Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Ryan Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Rayon 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Today, we're talking with doctor in sociology, Mara Jerez. She has been researching the progress of Hispanics movements and the state of Latino philanthropy in the country. She has written for several publications and is compiling her work and research into her own project called Latino Futures. She's here to talk to us about her work, her research, and the future that she visualized for the country and the minorities. This is the introduction of a column about sociology and Latino progress in Atenea Americana that will be led by Dr. Perez. Remember that this and all the shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org and that you may listen to all our podcasts in all the usual podcasting platforms online. I hope to listen to your comments either in our website or in our social network. Here we are in Atenea Americana, and uh, we want to welcome Mara Perez for coming today with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here, and I appreciate the invitation to share some of the work I've been doing and my observations specifically about the Latino community in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yes. So, Mara, tell us, you're originally from Argentina. That's right. I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, yes. and I have been in the United States for 36 years. Yeah. A whole life. <laughs> It yeah. is more than way more than half of my life. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And you've been uh, well. Here is where you did your uh, higher degrees where you study and you have been developing all your career, obviously, the last 36 years, I couldn't be as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I went to, I before moving to California, I lived in Chicago, where I went to graduate school, the University of Chicago, uh -huh. and earned a uh, doctorate in sociology. And already at that point, I was focusing on the Latino community, and specifically, I was looking at the Mexican migrant community in the United States mm -hmm. in relation to the work they were doing to advance the political process in Mexico while residing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then upon concluding the, the doctorate, I chose to not pursue an academic career because I was more interested in pursuing a path towards building my own business mm -hmm. to work with nonprofits serving Latinos in the U.S. advancing social justice, education, and leadership development. Mm -hmm. There is a big population of Mexicans in uh, Chicago. 
Most definitely, and it's unbelievable the support I received over the years while I was in graduate school from from those people Mm -hmm. in terms of providing information, insight, making connections for me for the research I was doing in Mexico where I spent a lot of the time Mm -hmm. and uh, making introductions and and providing a tremendous amount of insight that allowed me to develop the thesis for for my PhD. What was your thesis in that moment? The thesis was looking at, uh, there was a time back in the 90s when Mexican migrants um, with a large concentration in Mex- in Chicago were advocating to obtain the right to vote mm. in Mexican elections mm-hmm. while residing in the United States. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the field of sociology, there had been a lot of studies done about social movements. Mm-hmm. Social movements typically focused on actions that occur within the confines of a nation. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from doing the research that I was uh, conducting at the time was that there was an opportunity to study a social movement from a transnational perspective. Mm-hmm. So I focused on that and developed the model to track and understand transnational social movements. And as a result of that, I also wrote articles and co-wrote chapters in books, etc., looking at how a migrant population residing in the receiving country can actually have a major impact in mobilizing and producing and generating change in the country of origin. Mm-hmm. And then from that is that I started to turn the lens and focus more on migrants in the U.S. looking at the activities that they were conducting and engaging in within the United States itself, because mm-hmm. I became very interested in movements that had to do with uh, social justice and leadership development. And that in itself led me to the path to work with so many nonprofits as a consultant. That's very interesting because there are a lot of uh, refugees, uh, for one reason or another, uh, that have come from Latin America or from other countries and uh, in the before that, in the 90s, maybe you had examples uh, about what was happening in South Africa with civil rights to a lot of uh, South Africans were in the United States. Maybe they did they have any influence or what was happening in Argentina with a lot of refugees uh, in that time. Uh, well, still today, all the people that have run away from Venezuela and other countries that are having an extremely difficult situation right now with civil rights. And uh, do they actually can influence uh, in a strong manner to whatever is happening back into their countries? Uh, What I found from the study that I did that focused on the Mexican population, and to some extent I was looking at the Dominican population as well, is that when there is a sufficient mass of individuals that can gather and begin to track and put together a strategy and that have the capacity to work with people in their country of origin, with uh, social activists, grassroots activists in this case, they can, in fact, put together a substantial, robust uh, strategy and movement in place to begin to negotiate and create change by working with social activists, um, entrepreneurs, and people within the governmental structures too. But it takes a certain critical or tipping point I also found that for that to happen, you had to have some kind of a change occurring within the political structures and the political establishment. In the case of Mexico, there was a fragmentation within the ruling party that allowed for the creation and the emergence of a new political party, which in turn had um, a lot at stake and interest in connecting with the migrant population in the U.S., the Mexican population in that case. So that that uh, combination of factors 
led to this movement to to be able to become active and eventually successful. So I believe this applies to many other uh, movements, and you have to have a certain level of activity, in this case in both countries, to be able to have that kind of an activation. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing now here in the U.S. is looking, and particularly looking at the activities of Latinos in the Bay Area, is to track how the the conditions have been changing as such that they have enabled uh, uh, Latinos in different groups and organizations to mobilize in a way that is towards pursuing uh, prosperity. And I call this a movement, a Latino movement for prosperity building, which mm. I'll be happy to share over the course of the, of the show. Sure. And that stems from the work that I'm doing on a new project that I created in addition to doing the fund development consulting that I've been doing with nonprofits for nearly 20 years, over the last couple of years, I've developed a new project called Latino Futures. Mm -hmm. And Latino Futures at this stage is a think tank kind of project that is designed to look at dynamics within the Latino community now in the Bay Area and later on mm -hmm. across the country along the vectors of uh, philanthropy, technology, entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. all combined towards greater capacity and opportunities for leadership, mm -hmm. but also within the framework of what I believe to be a movement. And today, in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Dr. Mara Perez about Latino futures. Remember that this and all our shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org that you can leave us there your comments or in all our social networks also by Stanford Hispanic Broadcasting and that you may listen to the show in podcast platforms in all the usual places online. Depending on where you are, there is a different kind of Latino population. Their profile is uh, different. Is depending on, well, in more rural areas they go for, because they are rural population that come from rural uh, places. Uh, but there is also this uh, other part of the population that comes from the technology or for the entrepreneurship to different places, or if they go to the big city, they're probably not farmers. They were probably already entrepreneurs. So depending of where you are in the United States, you will have different kind of population, Latino population and immigrants. That's right. And you can even see it just in the Bay Area. It's, it's a microcosm for that. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it, it is, in fact, populations that may have lived in rural areas in Guatemala or in Mexico, that then move and form groups and, and communities, for example, in San Rafael in Marin County, mm -hmm. an area called the Canal District or the Mission, etc. At the same time, some of those individuals and others that may come from other types of centers or regions in their countries of origin, and many that have been born here, that have reached a certain level of um, economic viability mm -hmm. through education and other means, such as entrepreneurship, that have uh, been gathering and have become very active in, for example, Silicon Valley and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And those are the types of groups and organizations that I'm concentrating on at this time, both as being 
highly active in them, mm -hmm. uh, participating in their activities, but also because I'm a sociologist, mm -hmm. analyzing and observing and studying and writing about what these trends are pointing to. And I just finished an article that I submitted today, actually, mm -hmm. um, to a possible publisher that has published my, my work before. And this article is looking at the confluence of factors that have, in my, in my view, enabled Latino-serving, Latino-led organizations, entrepreneurs and leaders mm -hmm. to take on this, which is what I call a movement towards Latino um, prosperity. Mm. For example, the Latino Community Foundation of San Francisco mm -hmm. over the last couple of years created something called Latino Giving Circles. Yeah. This is unprecedented, and it really turns philanthropy on its head mm -hmm. because it's allowing people like me and you and many others that are not multimillionaires but mm -hmm. have some means to contribute to causes, not by giving a donation, which many of us do, for mm -hmm. nonprofits, but rather to pull our resources together as giving circles mm -hmm. and function ourselves as philanthropists mm -hmm. by identifying the organizations that we believe we want to fund based on core values that the foundation and the circles have, and then acting as grantors. Mm -hmm. This movement enables Latinos uh, to function and develop skills as philanthropists mm -hmm. and to create new pools of wealth Mm -hmm. that is then deployed towards um, augmenting the capacity of Latino-serving and Latino-led nonprofits. And why is this important? Because American philanthropy is only contributing 1.1% of all of its giving to Latino-led, Latino-serving causes. Mm -hmm. I repeat, 1.1%, mm -hmm. down from 1.5% a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. This is remarkable because by the year 2060... 30% of the population in the United States will be Latino. Yeah. How do you account? Possibly before that. Probably before. How do you account as a nation for a population that is increasing at such rapid rate mm -hmm. and a need to develop and maintain innovation, creativity, and leadership in this country mm -hmm. without providing, as philanthropy, sufficient funding to develop the the youth and the children of today that yeah. truly will become part of the leadership of tomorrow. Not counting that uh, a lot of states, like big states, important states in the U.S. economy, uh, California, right now half of the population is Latino somehow, uh, descendant or uh, immigrants or native born from here, but uh, descendant of other Latinos. And is uh, one of the biggest economies in the world, the state as a country, and is there because well there are many big industries like the technology business uh, industry, like movies industry, entertainment, and then we also make the food for most of the country, so it is very round economy, and uh, if we don't invest in the next generations over here, we're going to be taken over by others, by, by other states, but, and not just states, but other countries, if we cannot find people to take over the batoon and keep moving the, all these industries. Absolutely, and it defeats the, the national purpose to uh, disinvest or have a lack of interest in building the capacity of this population that's already here, mm -hmm. that already understands the culture. Yeah. Because it's important to point out that 
the largest numbers now are Latinos that are born, have been born in this country. Yeah. They're perfectly fluent in Spanish and English. That's an advantage. Uh, another movement that we're seeing right now in the Bay Area, relevant mm -hmm. to what I was referring to before, this movement towards prosperity, is in technology. And I've seen cases of social entrepreneurs in the Silicon Valley and other areas, mm -hmm. young Latinos that are developing apps and tools that involve the, the savviness of knowing how to work with technology mm -hmm. that are designed specifically to break barriers and obstacles to information mm -hmm. for young Latinos. Mm -hmm. Point in fact, there is a young woman called Sarai Espinosa Salamanca who developed an ad called the Dreamers Roadmap, mm -hmm. and it is designed to enable dreamers mm -hmm. to access information to scholarships, mm -hmm. whereby before this app, for these young students, identifying information about resources was almost impossible. And now this app gives them the opportunity to identify sources of funding that then allows them to go to school. That's developing the future. And what we're seeing is other cases like that, another program called KESI, which is another app that is designed to create pathways among Latino professionals mm -hmm. to have uh, a pool of uh, information and resources available at their, at their fingertips. Stanford, right here, mm -hmm has built in partnership with the Latino Business Action Network a superb program to, to, to train Latino entrepreneurs mm -hmm. um, and give them resources and access to capital. Mm -hmm. They provide them with the vehicles to access venues for venture capital, angel investors, etc., to build their businesses. Why is that important? Because much like in the case of philanthropy, which is not investing in the future of this country, Latinos, venture capital is only investing about 1% of all of the funding deployed mm -hmm. in Latino businesses. Yeah. Yet, Latino businesses are growing at over three times the rate of yeah. any other business in this country. You were talking about how do we build the economy and how do we make it sustainable. Yeah. Latinos are creating businesses in this country three times faster than anybody else. Yes. There are other distinct differences, including the size of the businesses, the revenue of the businesses, the scope of the businesses, uh, and in many ways, um, an and, and inability to access funding or uh, uh, trying to access funding like government grants or uh, bank loans for businesses mm -hmm. and being declined in large numbers. All of that can be changed with the right resources and information and training. That's imperative, not only for the Bay Area, but for the United States. Of course, and a lot of <coughs> these um, venture capitalists, they tend to invest in people that look like them, that speak like them. Most of them that went to the that move in the same circles as them, and uh, they, you know, white male uh, in certain age that went to certain kind of schools, and those are the business that are being promoted. It doesn't mean that they might be the best investment or they might be the best uh, uh, business to grow. But they, those are the ones that they are looking at and they are helping. So, And there's this other big population that is just being left out. And yes. even yeah, in other migrant communities, they also invest in themselves and help each other. And then there is this other big part that all these small businesses, 
this huge percentage of small businesses are uh, Latinos somehow businesses, and but they they don't grow. They stay into a small, very small type of business, and they don't escalate to the big. Even though study a couple of weeks ago that 51% of the most successful business in United States are a immigrant business. That's right. And what you're saying is absolutely, absolutely true in terms of venture capitalists, you know, deploying their funding to those that look like them. And um, the same goes for hiring practices, for example, in Silicon Valley, which has received so much attention and not in yeah. a good way about their hiring practices. Something that I'm hearing from so many of my colleagues in the Bay Area, in business, in philanthropy, uh, in entrepreneurship, is, well, we will have to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what's happening. And this is not in, a, in any way to be defiant or to become isolated from the rest, mm-hmm. but it's rather a direct response to this, again, um, obvious trends of disinvestment in the future of the United States. The yeah. case that I make, the case that Stanford, the Latino Business Action Network program makes, and many others is, this isn't about remedying a social injustice to Latinos or f- you know, solely focusing on providing uh, services to an underserved community. This is about the future of prosperity of this country. Of course. And this is about tapping into the talent that already exists. There are large numbers of Latinos in this region and, and others that still lack an education, access to resources, capacity development. They have everything within them. They just have lacked the opportunities to tap into that and develop as such. There is, at the same time, a large and growing number of Latino professionals of the highest level that I know, I observe, I hear about, I read about, and write about in the Bay Area with advanced degrees, engineers, attorneys, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, you name it, they're there. They're already working in very high, highly placed uh, businesses and organizations. And there is a tremendous level of commitment to building the next level of capacity, opportunity, and, and that development for the Latino community. And everybody that I talk to has the same perspective. This is about building the future of the United States. We all feel Americans. We're Latinos, we're also Americans, and we live in the United States. Our goal is to build prosperity for everyone, starting with ourselves, but not ending with ourselves. And it's a cadre of people with incredible talent and a vision, and they're activists. They're not out there with banners (laughs) demonstrating on the streets. We're out there in conference rooms, planning, Mm -hmm. developing programs, and putting action into these opportunities and creating these venues and these pathways to build the future of tomorrow. It is a movement for prosperity and is being led by highly trained, highly educated, accomplished and committed Latinos in the Bay Area. And Mm -hmm. it's very exciting to see this. This is new. Everything that I'm tracking has been happening for the last couple of years. This is Atenea Americana, and I am your host, Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. 
This is a bilingual cultural show bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe every week for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. And today, in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Dr. Mara Perez about Latino futures. Yeah, a couple of years ago, big companies in Silicon Valley came out with their numbers where they say, well, this tiny percentage are minority, U.S. minority people in our tech departments. This big percentage... Uh, well, is uh, Asian uh, from different countries, and uh, this big percentage is the rest wild male, and there is also a disparity in woman male numbers also. They came voluntarily with the numbers and they told us, well, we acknowledge this is a problem and we're going to work to make it better. Now, I haven't heard that they have actually made it better. Uh, is so far, as I understand, it's exactly the same number. Even though, though uh, of course, there are some uh, Latinos in higher positions in these companies by their own merit, uh, but still, the body of people who build the technology is tiny. There are minorities uh, living in the United States. The numbers haven't really changed much. And it's true that these numbers became uh, public a couple of years ago. And I think it's very interesting to see that the dynamics and the the trends that I have been observing, participating in again, and as I said, and writing about, started to really take momentum also a couple of years ago. And I think it was fueled in part, this movement, I believe, has been fueled in part by the realization of these facts. And the Bay Area Latinos, Latinos in Silicon Valley and in San Francisco and other parts, I think we took those numbers to heart. Mm-hmm. And that, coupled with the fact that there is a very large number, like I said, of Latinos with um, privileged to have reached uh, high education and and um, very good employment, already committed to social causes, decided to sort of go into the new gear and put these kinds of programs in motion. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I think what we're seeing is in, in great part fueled by the disparities that became so apparent a couple of years ago. I also believe the fact that um, in the media across the nation is now known, clear, indisputable, that the Latino vote can make or break an election. Mm-hmm. That, I think, also has fueled our own um, initiatives to take that to the next level as well and say, well, we're not just essential for political elections. And we don't only have the capacity to make or break an election. We also have and have had the capacity to make major contributions to this economy. Mm -hmm. And we have been doing that. And now we're going to create new venues, programs, pathways, technologies to to take this further. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing. The numbers in the Silicon Valley have not changed. Mm -hmm. I think to some extent the companies have been exposed to Mm -hmm. what their practices have been and eventually will have to respond in some tangible way. Something that they need to do is look elsewhere. If they keep looking for talent in the same places where they have been, they're not going to necessarily find Latino talent because there are many studies that show 
that Latinos are graduation, graduating with degrees in, in science and technology, but not necessarily coming out of the same universities that those people that are being hired by these companies mm -hmm. go to. So these companies need to expand their scope and radar and connections and networks, starting with awareness mm -hmm. about the fact that they're going to find very high caliber Latinos with the degrees that they are looking for, but they have to look elsewhere. Yes. And that has to be intentional. Yes, well, or, or they have to accept applications because it's not like they go outside and actually shake people and tell me, you want to come and work for me. Right. And they, the pressure has to continue. I think yes. the media has to keep shedding light on these dynamics because there are times when um, willingness may subside unless you really have some pressure on you to really deliver. So mm -hmm. I think we have to keep the pressure also. And mm -hmm. um, now coming back a little bit about uh, Latinos in philanthropy, there have been some companies or some uh, non-profits that have been uh, more active lately in the last years. As you say, for example, a Latino Community Foundation, uh, there is now um, Hispanics in philanthropy, HIP. There are other little movements and there are a, a lot of little conferences like uh, Stanford a couple of weeks ago had a Stanford Leadership, mm -hmm. Latino Leadership Alliance that are trying to move toward these goals like, okay, let's try to be visible, let's try to be out and let's try to invest more in uh, our community to kind of balance the, the playground. How have you seen the influence of these Latinos in philanthropy in general being effective so far? Well, the Latino Community Foundation, for example, by creating the Giving Circles, mm -hmm. has already connected and brought on nearly 200 of us. I'm a member of a circle as well in San Francisco. To nearly 200 Latinos, all of us, putting our money down in the circles in order to fund nonprofits, which means the Latino Community Foundation has already had the demonstrable outcome of generating six figures and more mm -hmm. in money that has been collected by members of the giving circles. Just and by the, the center in San Francisco? Because I know there is like another one in different parts there of are the Bay. There are a few other Latino giving circles. They mm -hmm. are establishing one in the South Bay. There is one in the peninsula. There is one in the East Bay. There is an intention to go to northern, the northern areas, including Marin, in the future. There is also now um, a plan to go to uh, Southern California and establish giving circles there. And this is only the beginning mm -hmm. because these giving circles have been in place only for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. The intention is to expand throughout California and bring in the opportunity to become a philanthropist to every Latino that has the willingness to do it, mm -hmm. to create the pathway so that there can be that connection. I believe somebody is going to, and if somebody is there listening, think about this. Mm -hmm. Somebody could develop an app that is devoted to building these networks of Latino philanthropists mm -hmm. across the Bay Area and beyond and have a technological tool that enables Latinos to be actively engaged in the act of giving okay. and being philanthropists. Hispanics in Philanthropy has developed something very interesting as well, say, yeah. which is an online giving tool whereby, and I write about that in my latest article, and this is again new, the last couple of years, Hispanics in Philanthropy now has um, in its website mm -hmm. features of a number of nonprofits that they vet 
and then they showcase that are Latino-led, Latino-serving, and enable donors to choose the nonprofit that they want to fund and deploy their funding towards those specific nonprofits. So while the vehicle is different between the Latino Community Foundation and Hispanics in Philanthropy, I believe the mission is the same. Oh, yes. Bring donors closer together to Latino-led, Latino-serving organizations and give them the access to the organizations and the skills and the vehicles to make their own selections in the donation. And that believes, that I believe rather, builds a greater sense of connectivity. And today in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Dr. Mara Jerez about Latino futures. Remember that this and all our shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org that you can leave us there your comments or in all our social networks also by Stanford Hispanic Broadcasting and that you may listen to the show in podcast platforms in all the usual places online. is more like uh, this GoFundMe, but it's specifically for a Latino-related non-profits. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or efforts. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't have to be a non-profit. It can be a campaign to do something in particular. Yeah. So I think that there will be, uh, because earlier I was talking about social entrepreneurship in the case of the Dreamers app and other applications that I'm seeing being developed by young Latino entrepreneurs, I believe there is an opportunity to create um, a tool, an app, that enables Latinos to um, engage in philanthropic activity. I also believe that the trends that we're seeing in philanthropy point towards what I believe may become a Latino super fund Mm -hmm. that is going to be aimed at creating these pathways to Latino and national prosperity. Mm-hmm. And when I put on my futurist hat, <laughs> which i that's part of what Latino futures is, by looking at current trends and imagining what's possible. And I also believe that what we're going to see is a movement towards the development and creation of Latino angel investing firms. Yes, because so far there are not. And there is critical the little percentage of Latinos in angel, in angel investors and venture capitalists, firms, and uh, also women in these two kind of businesses. Yes, and I think that as I was sharing earlier, trend that I'm hearing and seeing among many of us, which is, well, we'll do it ourselves, mm-hmm. will also be reflected in the development of um venture capital and angel investors that are Latinos and are funding Latino, maybe not exclusively, but with a strong focus on Latino entrepreneurship, Latino business owners, and Latino social entrepreneurs. Because I think it's also very important to think about funding Latino social entrepreneurs that may be creating um, technologies and products that may not be aimed at uh, developing fortunes Mm -hmm. by selling a product, or selling ads, but that are designed to develop pathways to prosperity Mm -hmm. by virtue of the mission of the enterprise. And I think that investors need to look at that very closely because the outcome 
may be a longer way away from the immediacy of creating that business. Mm -hmm. But all these apps that we're seeing developed now and, and social entrepreneur initiatives mm -hmm. really do have as a goal the creation of that um, pathway to prosperity. Of course, like increasing culture or investing in education. Absolutely. It doesn't pay you back the next day or... Intermediate steps. Help then. the community and help the development yes. of, of all of us. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we're living mm -hmm. a very exciting time yeah. and we're seeing the roots of something that I think is going to be unprecedented and truly magnificent in terms of this new movement towards um, the creation and deployment of wealth for much more than just the pursuit of wealth. Are you seeing a comeback to social movements in general because you know not that they were they stopped being there but they weren't on vogue or on mainstream all these discussions that as they were in uh, some other decades uh, somehow it has been uh, with a lower voice still there but with a lower voice and uh, this election circle has stirred a lot of dirt uh, and uh, bringing back a lot of these social movements do you think or that's my perspective do you think is that clear is, is being uh, re-energizing all these uh, kind of activities i haven't seen as much among the latino community specifically mm -hmm. um I don't, I don't believe we hear so much about social movements among Latinos. Mm -hmm. I think there is a tremendous amount of movement among the Latino population towards um, gaining its rightful space. Mm -hmm. And for example, when it comes to elections, mm -hmm. um, demanding and requesting that all the processes and procedures are in place to enable Latinos who are el eligible to vote to vote. Mm -hmm. I think that we are seeing a movement And I, I'm thinking of it as a sort of a, a new manifestation of a movement in what I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think it may have to do with the time and place and the fact that, as I said, so many of these Latinos have been here for a long time or have been born here. This is what they know. So I think that we still have a Latino movement in the areas that I have been focusing on. What I'm seeing is this newly emerging movement of Latino professionals towards um, developing these pathways, mm -hmm. looking forward to advance their career opportunities on those of others, and looking back. And the way that we're looking back is by saying we have the capacity to be philanthropists. There are many of us that still need access to resources, information, edu education, still have to graduate from high school, still have to graduate from college, and our philanthropy enables us to do that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we have full awareness of the deficits in the corporate sector, in the boardrooms, in the C-suites, where the percentages of Latinos are dismal, 2%, mm -hmm. 3%, even less. Mm -hmm. And those of us with already established capacities and skills and experiences in the professional field are saying, we can be there, and this is how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's a movement that's pulling us forward, and that is also because of the place we're in right now and the capacities we have, financial and otherwise. We're saying we're not just going to make sure that we move forward, we're going to make sure everybody does. Mm -hmm. So we will strive towards creating pathways to leadership and economic development and business development. And we're also going to be philanthropists and we're going to provide the support that the organizations that are 
giving education and, and opportunities to underserved Latinos mm -hmm. can continu continue to do it and can sustainability through our own investments. I believe that's the movement that we're seeing right now. Yes, and that uh, all these, how professionals grow in these big companies is fair, is uh, they have the same opportunities, and not just that, but how the applications are handled and who is higher is also given a fair uh, chance to everybody. Right, and well, that's the goal, definitely, mm -hmm. to make sure that that is part of the practices. And part of the work that I'm doing with Latino Futures is also focused on saying, understanding that are, there are many tools that companies already apply mm -hmm. and noticing that obviously they haven't worked. Mm -hmm. It's not enough because look at the percentages of Latinos on boards, C-suites, executive leadership positions, yeah. in philanthropy, in the corporate sector and elsewhere. Where is the bottleneck? Where is the what else can we do? Yes. What else can we do? So as part of my project, um, Latino Futures is designed to be a convener mm -hmm. and bring in leaders in these fields and bring in philanthropists and entrepreneurs and so social entrepreneurs and people in technology and have this conversation with the purpose of looking at where we are right now, mm -hmm. which is why I'm writing the articles I'm writing and saying this is where we are right now and that is fantastic and it's just not enough. Mm -hmm. So what else do we do and how do we integrate this common vision that we have For example, by saying we have technology, we have philanthropy, and we have entrepreneurs, is there a technological innovation that can enable us to advance this? Or is there another philanthropic innovation that we can devise and create and put forth? And what role do social entrepreneurs have in this? And what role do people with, with degrees in, in the sciences and technology have in this? And what role do people in philanthropy having this. And that's where I think we need to go. Perfect. Well, we'll be looking and hopefully we'll have you back to talk about all these very interesting topics that you have been writing for a long time. Many of my articles are already with Stanford Social Innovation Review mm -hmm. and also Latin Business Today. And I will be continuing to write articles and I'll make sure to share the the publications with you. Yes, perfect. And uh, we, we will talk about them. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll be back and, and talk to us about your I new research to. and your new articles and studies. Thank you so much. I would love to come back and give you an update about Latino futures and where we're all headed because we're heading to really, really good places and I can't wait to see where yes. we are a year or two or five from now. Perfect. Thank you so much. Sure. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea, Atenea Americana. Americana. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Radio Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Vuelve pronto. Atenea, Atenea Americana. Americana from Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>